0: Don't get stressed out. This is Industry Focus. Hello everyone, and welcome to the financials episode of Industry Focus. Today we're going to be talking about stress tests on banks. And I have got The Motley Fool's very own senior banking specialist, John Maxfield, on the line. Hi, John.
1: Good morning, Christine. How are you doing? Or I guess it's it's afternoon for you. You're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. It's still morning over here though.
0: Just barely afternoon, but with the the time change, who really knows? Yeah, who knows?
1: It could be it could be anything at this point.
0: Yeah, we're, we're all sorts of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's let's dive right into to financials. So, of course, the big news lately in the banking industry is these uh, stress tests that the Federal Reserve runs annually, in which the 31 biggest banks, so uh, banks that have assets of $50 billion or more, um, that are overseen by the Fed, go through this testing every year. And the purpose is to determine whether or not these banks have enough capital to survive a hypothetical downturn in the economy. And basically what happens here is that the Fed lays out three scenarios. They look at a baseline scenario, so normal circumstances, economy keeps trucking along normally, then you start to get a little bit more negative, and you've got your adverse scenario where the stock market drops a little bit, unemployment rises, etc. And then, now here's when things really get interesting, and what we're, we're truly looking at in these tests is the severely adverse scenario, in which the stock market tanks 60%. Unemployment shoots up to 10%, 25% drop in home prices, market volatility soaring, all sorts of terrible things going on in the economy. So this is the scenario that we're most concerned about, and it's the, the true point of these tests. So in each of these scenarios, the banks are given the opportunity to submit complex plans outlining what happens in hypothetically in each of these scenarios to their businesses and their capital ratios. So, John, I'm going to let you take a deeper dive here, and before we discuss the actual results from this first round of testing that happened, uh, why are these results and these tests so important? Um, what is the risk that they're designed to reduce?
1: So, I guess there's a, there's a couple of different ways to answer that. So, from kind of a societal standpoint, the reason that, that these stress tests are important is because they're designed, so if you go back to... The the crisis of 2008 and into 2009. One thing that we saw is that banks, you know, they had all these investments in various types of securities and derivatives that were tied to subprime mortgages. And when those mortgages took a hit, that reduced their capital levels. And almost, I think it's probably fair to say, almost across the board, and almost every bank in the country. It pushed them into the accounting equivalent of insolvency because these credit markets froze up, which caused the asset values on their balance sheets to drop precipitously. And when you consider that banks are leveraged, on average, 10 to 1, it only took a 10% drop in assets to completely wipe out the capital base of these banks. So the purpose um, of the stress test is to proactively get in front of a crisis like that, to make sure that the banks are positioned both on the asset side, and on the liability side to be prepared for, uh, a, in, in the words of the Federal Reserve, a severely adverse economic crisis akin to the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. So that's the reason it's important from a societal standpoint, because it'll, it, it presumably will help stop the, us as taxpayers having to step in to bail out banks um, if they get into trouble again. Now, from the perspective of an investor, why this Really matters at this point, now that we're, I guess we're five, six years out of the crisis, is that the Federal Reserve, as a result of Dodd Frank and the whole bunch of regulations that were passed uh, pursuant to Dodd Frank uh, in the aftermath of the crisis, the Federal Reserve now has the right to either approve or reject capital plans of all of the nation's biggest banks. So let's say your bank, or let's take Citigroup as an example, because they were rejected last year. So Citigroup hasn't raised its dividend since the financial crisis. It's one of the few banks that hasn't. And the reason it hasn't is because the Federal Reserve won't allow it to because it has performed so poorly on the stress test in the past. So that's the reason that it matters for investors.
0: Absolutely. And and with Citigroup, of course, this is something to really keep an eye on um, regarding these tests. Because Citigroup has not done too well on these tests so far. And, and in fact, we're potentially looking at the CEO stepping down if Citigroup were to, to not do well this year. And uh, of course, that kind of alludes to the issue that we don't just have the tests that we have the results for from last week, but we also have this new round of tests that is, is coming out uh, this following Wednesday. Do you want to uh, discuss a little bit what the, the difference in the two rounds are?
1: Yeah, so, so the first round... You know, you kind of explained this at the outset. It, it, the Fed makes a number of projections about what the what's going to happen to the economy over a, basically a two-year stretch. And those, there's different layers of those. There's a baseline, there's an adverse, and there's a severely adverse. And so then the Fed is just looking to see what happens to the capital at these banks, to the capital ratios at these banks, under those hypothetical scenarios. The next step is to determine, and, and that's assuming that the capital plans that are in play at these banks presently stay in play for the for the that, that two-year time period. This next step, and these are the results that are due out on Wednesday, March 11th, that determines. So the, the the banks will go through, and they will ask the Federal Reserve to either increase their dividend or increase the amount of share buybacks they're doing over the next year. And they'll, they'll ask for permission to do that. The Fed will then take those proposals and factor those into the results of last week's trust test to see what that will do, you know, that additional release of capital to shareholders, what that will do to the bank's balance sheets to see if that will then dip them below those regulatory minimum thresholds for the capital ratios. If it does dip them below that, um, then those capital plans will either be outright rejected or the cap- or the banks will be given an opportunity to submit um, revised requests for capital. Uh, so that's kind of how those two those those two uh, steps play together.
0: So that second sound, uh, round of results is really what investors are going to be looking at. But right now, what we have to go off of and discuss is just round one. So you know, assuming that. The uh, dividends and uh, capital allocation plans remain the same as they are currently. Um, we ha- we found out that all 31 of the banks that were tested passed the stress test, um, which of course means that even in the scenario of a sharp economic downturn, as we've said, that the capital levels didn't drop below the regulatory minimums. Um, the results uh, reported that cumulative tier one common capital ratio was projected to fall in you know said hypothetical severely adverse scenario from the current 11.9% to a minimum level of 8.2, and uh, just to add some context, um, at the peak of the last crisis, this figure bottomed out at 5.5. So that that that's looking like these banks are positioned pretty well. Um, was there any particular bank that uh, you think performed? Worse than than you would have expected.
1: You know the the one bank that was a kind of a surprise to everybody, I would say, was Goldman Sachs. And, and keep in mind that Goldman Sachs is not your traditional bank, right? They don't have branches out there where you and I are going to deposit money and then we're getting you know loans to buy a home. They're more, I mean, they're traditionally an investment bank, but they switched over into a bank holding company during the financial crisis so they could have access to some, a number of different things that would keep them alive that the Federal Reserve provided to traditional banks. But Goldman Sachs, I mean, this is just an exceptionally run organization, regardless of how you look at it. But when you look at one of those capital ratios, I think it was the total risk-based capital ratio, it came, I think, it came in, in this hypothetical, severely adverse economic scenario, at the nadir of the crisis, this hypothetical crisis, Goldman Sachs's total risk-based capital ratio I think fell to eight point one percent and the regulatory minimum for that is eight percent. So that really leaves very little additional capital that think, Goldman can, you know, under this next round of stress testing, can say can ask the Federal Reserve to distribute to its shareholders. So the big question is, will Goldman Sachs be able to increase its dividend this year or will it not be able to given those results?
0: How have share prices been affected so far? You know that's, a, that's
1: actually a really good question. You know, I can I can talk to just a couple of banks in particular. So, Citigroup, which was which is surprising because it actually did really really well in this year's stress test. If you're just looking at the the actual numbers, it came out with an, a, an unusually high Tier one common capital ratio, even at the year of the hypothetical financial crisis. Um. So, but after the results released, its shares actually went down a little bit, which would seem to suggest that the market was, to a certain extent, extent, expecting it to do a lot better this year than it did last year. Now, on the other hand, Bank of America, which didn't do as well as Citigroup did uh, on the stress test on a relative basis, its share price went up about 2.5% the day after the results were released. So, um, just in general, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag.
0: Super interesting. So do you think that investors should be placing much weight on the outcome of this first round of tests? Or I mean, to, to what extent can you predict the result of the test that we'll see on Wednesday at this point?
1: So that's a great question. Um, I think that investors should care about the test because the tests dictate whether or not these banks will be able to increase the amount of capital they return to shareholders and the extent of that increase. That's why investors should care. Now, I would say that investors shouldn't look at these stress tests as a guarantee that if the economy were to go through a similar situation, that that is how those projections turn out is exactly how these banks would perform in the next crisis. There are so many different moving pieces in the economy um, that when these things turn, when, when the economy goes south and you have people, you have banks failing, you have counterparties failing, you have all these different things going on, it is impossible to predict exactly what that looks like. So, so in terms of just determining whether or not, you know, let's say using the stress test results as a gauge of safety and security, yes, it may be a proxy for that. But it's certainly, um, I, I, you know, not to use a cliche, but the, the, the proof is in the pudding. You never know exactly what the next crisis is going to look like until you're in the midst of it. And at that point, um, that, that's the only way you'll know what's going to happen to those capital ratios.
0: Makes sense. So to wrap up a little bit, um, what three banks are you going to be watching with the most interest come Wednesday?
1: The Unquestionably Citigroup, and because Citigroup, has been rejected two years in a row for a proposed dividend increase. And they're the one big bank that has not been able to increase their dividend since the financial crisis. So that's number one. Number two is Goldman Sachs, for the reason I discussed earlier. You know, Is their performance on the total risk-based capital ratio, is that going to impede their ability to increase the amount of capital they return to shareholders? And then last but not least... Um, it, you know, if I had to pick just one in addition to those, I would probably say um, let's pick a let's pick a, a healthy bank. I would say look at Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo has a history of returning a lot of capital to shareholders. They've performed well on every stress test in the past. Their earnings are spectacular. <laughs> they do, they've, they've done well through multiple cycles in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how far up they take that. That dividend payout ratio, um, uh, how far up they take that relative to what they've done in the past. Because it'll, it'll kind of give us an idea of how much capital um, the Fed is going to allow even the best run banks to start distributing to its shareholders.
0: All right, great picks. Uh, so, investors and taxpayers, uh, be sure to keep an eye out for round two stress test results that are coming out this Wednesday. Uh, the results are sure to paint a picture of what we can expect in the coming year across the banking industry, and as well as shed a little bit of light on the potential repercussions of a financial downturn, which is something that should interest all of us. Uh, John, thanks for your time today, as always, and for all the great information you brought to the table. Folks, be sure to check back to full.com for more banking and financial analysis, as well as for all your investing needs. And uh, don't stress too much. Full on. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.